Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Susanna, and welcome to the Codeco podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here's the show. This is the Codeco podcast. This episode was recorded on Sunday, the 10th of December, 2023. I'm your host, Drew Freeman, with my wonderful co-host, Jennifer Bailey. Thanks, Drew. Today, we'll be talking with Harlan Calloway and Ben McKinnon. Ben is the Unity Developer Manager at Engage XR, a VR metaverse platform. Ben has been working with the Unity Games Engine since Unity 2 in a career spanning 14 years and is one of the authors on the Codeco book Unity Apprentice. Harlan is the lead iOS engineer at a startup focused on daily spiritual practice. His career has ranged from being an individual contributor to team lead to engineering manager and back again. We're also joined by Adrian Strawn. Adrian is a lead iOS developer working for a major UK bank. He's been working in IT for over 30 years and has been writing iPhone apps since 2010. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Um, as you can see, we are a little bit informal. And we like to keep it that way to keep everybody relaxed and enjoying. So what I want to do is I want to take a moment for each of you to talk about what got you into software IT in general. Adrian, let's start with you. I, I started really in IT. I, I, I went to university and did a computer science degree back in the 80s. Uh, I just really enjoyed the, the thought that computers were pretty much black and white and could do everything that you asked them to do. Uh, you know, in, in my career since then, you know, I've really been uh, working in lots of tech stacks, started out in animation of all things way back, uh, doing corporate, creating software for corporate videos and TV shows, uh, using MS Fortran of all things back then, uh, and graduated then to C and C++ while working for a flight simulator company. Uh, Eventually got back into sort of corporate work with uh, JavaScript and websites and uh, and ultimately got involved with uh, iPhone development. And uh, here I am today. Wow. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Harlan, how about you? So I studied computer science as well in school, um, but I didn't get into application development professionally for a few years after school. Um, and they didn't teach mobile application development when I was in college. Um, so I poked my head up and looked at what was happening in the field at that time and uh, took a course in iOS development and never looked back. Uh, my course, my uh, career for the most part of a decade now has been in iOS development, which I really love. And Ben, how about you? I'm, I kind of came to computer science a bit late. I originally was studying a, a music degree and decided that, you know, music wasn't going to make me any money, but uh, perhaps software development would, uh, joke in there. But I did uh, go and study computer games technology at a uh, university here in Scotland and graduated from that and have never made a game since, but I've worked on various uh, kind of 3D applications uh, originally, I was work I was making a metaverse platform long before anybody ever thought of the term metaverse. Uh, about ten years ago, um, maybe a bit longer, uh, and then spent several years working in architectural visualization. So I did a lot of augmented reality, virtual reality apps of 
buildings that hadn't been built yet and things like that. So, and uh, yeah, as Jen said, I now work for Engage, which is a VR-based metaverse platform. So it's all been using the Unity games engine, but never really officially a game. Now you've you've used the term metaverse a few times. For for our listeners who aren't familiar, how do you define metaverse? That's a very good question, which I don't have the answer to, but <laughs> uh, a lot of people have tried to answer that question. But uh, what, we, what we see it as uh, our, our platform is a, a social platform, but it gets used uh, more for educational purposes and, and, and business meetings and things like that. So uh, we, have, we have a lot of virtual events running in our platform. Earlier this year, we had a Fat Boy Slim concert. In our platform, which was, wow. which was really, really great. I'm, uh, I'm remembering the, uh, the limited run. Um, there was a, a Muppets series on Disney where the Muppets actually played a concert. Uh, the, the, the band played a concert inside. I believe it was supposed to be Minecraft. Mm. So I, I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a few of these happening now. I think there was a Eminem concert in Fortnite. Mm-hmm in the past few weeks as well so yeah it's quite a lot of these popping up now that's it's wonderful and i know uh kiss has recently said they're going to take the makeup off but perform virtually from now on whatever that may or may not entail well this is this is all wonderful so i'm i'm always fascinated ben like you i was a theater major for my my uh, undergraduate so i also was in the arts and wound up kicking and screaming where they paid more than waiting tables so this, of course, is, is great information. I want to get onto the topic at hand, which is you're all advanced developers. Um, you've spent time in your careers. And we have a lot of people listening who are advanced, but also beginners. And what we really want to focus on today is how you make those steps. What are people looking for to help developers take those steps forward? So... If you can give me first a little capsule, if you can turn your heads back to when you were beginning devs, what were those things that that helped you stand out to move forward in your careers? And Harlan, I see you nodding. So either you've got an appreciation for the question or you've got an answer for me. I have an appreciation for the question, hopefully an answer. (laughs) Um, I mean, partly what I was reflecting on is young me in my career would not have imagined where I was now. It partially just takes time um, in the field working with people and working on real-world applications. Um, Certainly something that stuck out when I was younger in my career, and other people would comment on this, was my ability to communicate uh, and work with people in a team. So not just writing the code, um, but being able to talk with designers, talk with product managers, talk with other application developers, and have uh, an amount of empathy for our users and, and my teammates. And that helped me stand out as someone who would also eventually become an engineering manager. Ben or Adrian, do you want to tackle that? Give it a go. Yeah. I mean, it's such a long time ago since I was a junior developer. It's really hard to remember, <laughs> to be quite honest. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's one thing. I mean, I, I really enjoyed programming. Um, all the way through university and and that's what i wanted to do as you know straight out i, I tried to get a, a job as a programmer but uh i feel that there's there's so much uh experience that you you really need to pick up on in in the role as as you start 
developing uh and i mean developing as a person as as a within the role itself uh but and by that i mean uh and you know anyone can really program uh with you know with a with a a one on one book you know how to how to program in any language but the the real the real learning curve is is how to do it properly is how to do it effectively how to do it in a team how to do it where you don't uh you know make mistakes or or create bugs that are really you know really quite schoolboyish type uh uh things that I think everybody does when you first start, and and I think you really, you know, just as as you develop in your career, you've really got to learn how to debug, how to you know build the applications properly, how to use architectures correctly, and so on, and and that's really uh, how how you start to learn as much as anything. There's it, you know, you can start as a as a developer, but there's so much more to learn other than just programming. Ben, do you want to add anything? Yeah, I think exactly as, as Adrian says there, it's kind of about uh, more than just programming. It's about developing your, your soft skills, your people skills as well. Um, I think as a, as a junior, all I would say is like soak as much in as you can from your peers, the people you're working with, the senior devs you are working with, learn as much as you can. Uh, to then show that you can progress yourself. I have a question since I work with a lot of people who want to become a junior developer. Do you guys have any advice for someone who's trying to land their first position and find that first position as a junior developer? I would, I would say definitely go out and do some, do some side projects, do some of your own projects, make them available on GitHub make them public and visible so that when you're applying for a job, you've got a link there for your for your GitHub uh, so that prospective employers can go in and easily take a quick look at you. Uh, it's, it's definitely more likely to land you an interview. Thank you. I would uh, agree with that. Um, there are a lot of people who want to become developers, and that's only increased over the years. And the amount of education you can do online on platforms like Kadeco is amazing. So there are a ton of people who have have a foothold um, into programming. So stuff you can do to make yourself stand out is have code online that is uh, demonstrably not following a tutorial um, or, or something that um, copy-pasted together. Anything that's as close as you could come to actually building a real-world project or application is going to stand out. That takes time and effort, but that is stuff that will stand out uh, above people who um, have sort of just copy pasted stuff from online. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with all of that, uh, but I, I think equally, you, you know, say so you get to the interview itself, you've actually got to demonstrate enthusiasm for the subject as well. You've you've really got to be passionate about what it is you're doing. Um, you, you know that that actually as as if if this is your first ever gig in development, I, I would say that's the one thing that will stand out as, as alongside you know if you've if you've been able to develop your own project, brilliant, absolutely fantastic. But to to show that you're willing to learn, that you're 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 engaged, that you're you know this is the subject, this is the area that you want to have a career in, is is really a very valuable thing to have i think and demonstrate 
One thing just to add to that from Adrian is um, the way I look at candidates when I'm interviewing them is we can teach skills. We can teach you how to code and how to meet our style and guidelines, but we can't teach you attitude. So you've got to come with the right attitude and, and the willingness to, to learn as part of our team. Yeah, I don't want to turn this necessarily into an examination of the interview process because we, you know, we've spoken about that many times and we could each all go off on that uh, in many ways. My own advice to that one has always been find your way to enjoy the interview process because if you're there because it's a job, because it's something you need, you're giving off the wrong attitude right off the bat. If you want to work with these people, if you want to, I mean, even the coding problems, just try to enjoy the process because that gives the best attitude, I, I think, at least for a company I'd like to work with. But so, so we've now talked about the beginning dev who's coming out of education. We've talked a little bit about the junior dev. How do we quantify the differences between well, the beginning dev is easy. They haven't necessarily had a job. They've maybe written a couple of code snippets on on uh, on GitHub or the like. How do we differentiate? What are we seeing is the difference between somebody we consider a junior dev and a senior dev? Because obviously, these differences are the things that we really want to see before we consider promoting somebody. Um, I think it's you know it's going to be different depending on the tech stack as well. Um, for me as, as well, I don't see junior straight to senior. I, I see there's a mid, midpoint there as well. Um, that's the way we, we've got it uh, hierarchied in, in our team anyway. Um, but it's just things like needing less support, being more accurate with your code, um, taking ownership of small projects or tasks, contributing to... Uh, design process, those kind of initial kickoff meetings when you're talking about a new feature, starting to give feedback in, in those. Perhaps also starting to show an incentive towards mentoring more junior members of your team as well. Like That's a big thing. I think when you get up to the the senior point and, and look towards you know beyond that, you've got to start deciding whether you're going down people management side of things or you're staying in the individual contributor and you're you know going to be the best of the best of what it is you do um so you need to make you kind of need to make those decisions earlier on and, and understand how you want your career to go uh adrian or harlan yeah i mean I, i'd agree with everything ben said there definitely uh as a you everyone has sort of develops at a different rate as well uh, you know, some people probably can progress quicker than others. There isn't necessarily a a predefined uh, set of steps that anyone can take, but certainly demonstrating that you've uh, been around the block a few times, maybe, you know, you've actually done a, a couple of applications or you've worked on a number of different areas that you've developed your skill sets in maybe a, a broad range of, of, of subjects that you haven't necessarily just specialized in one or two areas. Uh, you know, that, that way you become more valuable, that you become more of a go-to person that people can ask you and, 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 and come to you and for your 
perspectives on things. Certainly being able to ask questions, uh, be able to almost uh, analyze a problem, become, you know, we, in the old days, there used to be computer analysts, you know, that people would just sit there and think about the problem and uh, not necessarily write the code. But nowadays, it's more, you've got to be able to do that. You've got to be able to think on your feet. You've got to be able to uh, point out problems that you can foresee. Think about edge cases, uh, and all of this is is sort of the sort of thing that you will only get as a as a as a sort of a seasoned developer. I would say, um, like you mentioned, Drew, it's kind of easier to tell, a lot easier to tell what a junior developer is. It's much more literal. Uh, your ability to write code, fix the bug, um, doing those things over and over again, cutting your teeth, um, getting experience doing that stuff. As you level up, it gets more and more nebulous what it is to be a good X developer. And actually, your ability to take on nebulous scope and get things done, you're handed requirements and you have to get things done. Um, you have to be able to come up with a technical solution that is good enough to get you there on time. And all of these things are in context of working within that team and that company. And that takes experience seeing how other people do it seeing how you doing it doing it and failing um and it also takes working with other people a lot in understanding what they mean and trying to understand what they mean uh, and put it all together into writing an application we seem to also be seeing a bit of a a, a lockdown and separation between what are the more the contractual jobs that are brought in and the full-timers who sit with the company, where the contractual engineers are expected to be able to zoom in on a bug, focus in on it, and rip it apart very, very quickly, where the full-timers are expected to learn the greater basis of code over time because they're expected to be there as longer cogs in the system. So promotion may be slower for the full-timer, but it also demands a far greater level of responsibility. I love how Harlan, you mentioned failure is part of the process. That is amazing because uh, that's how so often that we learn <laughs> to be seniors or <laughs> leaders. And that, that's part of being a junior engineer. Failing is really hard when you're a junior engineer and it takes time to learn that, that that's okay, that that is part of the process and to put that in, in stride, to take that in stride. You can be you can be really scared to fail as a junior, um, whereas like as 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 a team lead, like uh, if I see a failure, then I say right, well, how do we learn from this, and how do we make sure we don't do that again? Yeah, how do you fix the bug? If what's your experience, you say, well, break it, let the compiler tell you what broke. One of the things that, that does come up in the interview process, circling back to that, is the question of where do you see yourself in five years. Um, as a hiring manager, you've probably come across this question. How do you feel about that question if it's come up? And what are you looking for in that question if it's one that you are using to gauge somebody with? Um, Adrian, let's start with you. I, I personally, I mean, I, I try not to ask that question. Uh, I, I've throughout my time, I. I I've come across it, and I've and I've I've actually said to sort of employers, where where can I be in five years' time? 
but it it really doesn't things change so much these days that it's really hard five years is such a long time uh it it, it doesn't really have that much bearing anymore i think my question isn't so much five but is the where do you okay. see yourself in the future yeah with our company well, I mean, yeah so certainly i mean that it, it sort of demonstrates that you're 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 looking for for a role where you can progress uh you know so if somebody asked me that i i'd, I'd say that was a good a good question because at least they're thinking where can they be what 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 the what are the career progressions available to them in the role that they're they're currently being recruited for um definitely but it's and, and you know, and, and as to answer the question, you know, obviously, most most of the companies I've worked for, there's always been the ability to to progress, and it's really down to the individual how how well they take that and how well they they're they're able to to demonstrate that they they can progress. Uh, Harlan, how do you, uh, how about you? I have mostly worked in startups where, again, that time horizon is a little a little too much for um, how rapidly they, they change. But in a more general sense, um, the most literal sense, what they're looking for is alignment between what opportunities they have at the company and, and the way they're developing the department. Uh, do we want more engineering managers in the future? Do we have no bandwidth to have engineering managers? And this person's really looking for that type of role, so we really can't accommodate them. <laughs> is one uh, way. Another way is they're trying to gauge you just for your excitement and, and willingness to invest and see yourself there for a long time um, and, and what you see as progression. And does that align with the way they want to see people progress? Ben, any comments? Yeah, I think when that question comes up at an interview, they just want to see that you are committing to a decent amount of time if it's full-time role right um it's not a question that i ask at interview but uh, we do annual appraisals with our staff and we ask that question then you know they're already on board they're already part of the team where do they want to go now that they're here i'm i'm always happy when i hear the the comments a lot of people when we're talking about the hiring process don't talk about they, they, they really talk about the interviewee. They don't talk about the, the external forces at play in that interview process, the, the budgeting, the, the team structure as it stands. And I'm very happy to hear comments like that. I know, Harlan, you're with a small company, and as I mentioned beforehand, I, I'm with a, a very large company that has progression ladders that explain the steps. Have you worked with one of these companies that has the the outline for expectations? I have. Or have you not come across? Go ahead. Yeah, I've worked for a, a range of size of companies, um, and I even did a foray in a very large company to understand the difference between small companies and large companies. Um, so, yeah, I've seen companies where it's extremely structured, um, and there's sort of a, an abstraction across all departments, and then you define specific to your department what being fearless means at the junior level or, you know, it might align to characteristics. 
Um, and then I've been at companies where they may not have a ladder. Some smaller companies tend not to have a ladder or it's in beta or it's in, in version one. Um, and it's a little more based on a manager getting to know someone well in their ability than this very rigid structure. Uh, I've been to small. I've been in companies that are small enough. There, you get promoted if you bailed out a project that went south. <laughs> I haven't, but yeah, it gets it gets that unstructured. And I see a big smile on your face. <laughs> Has this come across on you before? Yeah, <sighs> not so much. But it's I more the you've been at a company long enough that you just get a promotion to senior developer, right? You're not getting any extra responsibilities with the role there's nothing there's no change from your monday to friday work you're still the same person you're still doing the same work you've just now become a senior developer because you've been there for five years um and that that bugs me a little bit and i like this talk about the progression and the structure because something that i'm trying to put in place right now at, at my own company is i'm building this framework of skills that we define okay the junior is level one in this skill and level well they're level one in most skills because they're junior uh, and then the mid goes up goes up a level and we build this framework and then we can review with the team quarterly annually whichever it is and say okay you're moving up in this skill and that skill and this skill and you know you're working towards that next step in the career so we can now go to the HR and say hey this guy is is progressing we should we should offer him a promotion there yeah I, I i think the 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 up and the down of what you said before is that concept of quacking like a duck which is if you want to be called a duck you quack like a duck you swim like a duck if you want to be a, a senior manager we notice that oh my god he's been acting like a senior manager we should make him a senior manager but that also can be very heavy on the employee in question who's been doing that role for two, maybe three years, and now they're finally getting acknowledged for it. Yeah, you see that a lot. Um, do we promote people because they've been doing it for a while, or do we promote people because we think they're going to rise to the level? They've given us the signals that they're going to rise to the level of the next title in companies OH2. And in those kind of situations, that's where you get employees who jump ship because they're like, well, I know I can do the job, so I'll apply for the job yes, somewhere else. Yes, that is a, a balance that managers play with, too. Have you encountered companies uh, or do your companies provide any sort of professional development to help people advance? Um, I know that in our company, many of those resources were there, and I think more people could benefit from using them. I've only seen that myself at really large companies that have dedicated people to the more structured you get, uh, the, the more people there are, it becomes more a process of working on a packet to put in front of a promotion packet to put in front of a committee that doesn't know anything about you, but they can skim easily that you've had an impact. That's at really, really large companies. But also at those companies, they'll then also have dedicated resources that help you understand how to navigate this process of getting a promotion. Um, and offer you resources. That's what I've seen. One of the articles that I've read is uh, for employees to keep sort of a, how the best way to term it is a brag document, meaning that they track what they do in detail throughout the year. Because even their own managers are managing multiple people. They can't necessarily say, oh yeah, you worked on this or you did that. And this is the way that the 
employee could basically start putting together what would be a resume of what they've done for the year and pass that off to their supervisors. Have you heard of anything like this, um, Adrian? How about you? Um, not specifically that, no. I mean, I, I, I personally have tended to work for smaller companies. I, I'm, I'm now working for a major UK bank, but only for, say, for the last two years. Uh, but we don't have anything like that at the bank. But I, I feel that, I mean, just as an example, last year, I, I, I felt that I needed to brag myself a little bit just to make sure that people recognize what I had done. Uh, and that while I didn't have a document per se, I had to sort of put an email together of all the things that I felt that I'd contributed towards in order to uh, justify the, you know, the, the, the bonus that I was trying to get, <laughs> uh, not necessarily promotion. But uh, and it's definitely in smaller companies. It's it. I don't think it's like that, and that's really I think I think why I've tended to work for smaller companies because I feel that you tend to have more of an impact as as a as an employee. There are more opportunities for you to be visible to senior management. You can even you know, develop relationships with senior management much easier in a smaller company than you can in a larger one. So, you know, I, I and in that regard, I, th I think they, they tend to, to be more aware of what you've done and, and, and the contribution you've made towards the, the rest of the company. So, you know, that's, that's generally why I've enjoyed working for smaller companies is that I feel that I'm a, Rather than a small cog in a big machine, I'm a big cog in a small machine. That's how I see it. I have actually seen this uh, brag document, um, as you call it, and I've, I've tried it myself, actually. Um, I tried it after being a manager and then going back to IC because I realized as a manager that I didn't remember all of the bullet points that happened in my reports. Um, performance review cycles might happen on a year. I can't remember over a year. And if I don't have a look back at what happened earlier in the year, you're plagued by recency bias, and you can only think of what they've done recently. So I tried it myself with this last performance review cycle. It's even just helpful for me as an employee to say, oh yeah, I did that, I did that, I did that. And when they wanted, what are your major accomplishments for the last year? It was just boom, 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 boom. So I would actually, just, just for the sake of recollection, it, it's even a good practice. Ben, you're nodding? Yeah, I'm, I'm laughing um, as well. We, like I said, we would do these annual appraisals with our with our staff every year, and we're we're in the middle of, of doing them right now. Um, and the very first question, very first question is, "How's the past year been?" Next question is, "What are your highlights of the year?" Are we expecting the staff to list what they're proud of of achieving over the last year? But then, when I get the document as the manager, the very first question I have is, "What is employees' achievements of the year?" And I have to say what I think they did they did well. Um and I can usually go through GitHub history pull requests and, and make sure I, I'm not forgetting anything exactly from the from the earlier part of the year. But then I also have my own appraisal form which also has that question. And and like Harlan I'm like, oh, what did I do this year? Especially as as a manager where you're not so much hands on with the code and you're more mentoring the rest of the team. You're like, oh what what did I contribute? Um and I did to say that I got myself a annual diary to try and keep a note of everything. The last entry was made on the twenty third of January, 
And then I obviously gave up trying to keep a keep a tab on what was happening that year. Um, but it is. I, I think it's. Uh, I was saying it's it's a bit harder as a manager because mm-hmm. you're more leading the team to to perform well and successfully execute projects, whereas you're not doing them yourself. So it's like, what did I do? And I, th- I think that can be one of the big problems of of shifting into the the sort of team lead role is is that you you get less and less time to actually deliver code and it it that, that can be frustrating i you know this you you get this huge uh hit when you you know you deliver some code or you deliver a piece of functionality that works or that does something that makes a big difference to to the application you're working on and with with uh mentoring and just you know managing people it you don't get that same hit uh it's 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 almost like that's just your day-to-day work you know every day you should be getting that and it just becomes the norm and you you don't seem to have the uh the same uh adrenaline rush or or whatever it is you get when you you deliver some code Adrian, I, I want to stay on that note for a second, because uh, to, to let you know that our researcher who, who who seeds us with questions also uses ChatGPT and will will throw in some people's history and they and they they returned a question for me for you that basically is after thirty years, how do you maintain the passion? How do you keep your skills up to date when you're not doing as much? I see. Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh... You know, it, it, it's a lot, it's hard work. It, it's, uh, you know, as a, when I was a freelancer, uh, it was so much easier because you, you sort of had to, you had to keep up to date. You had to constantly be looking out for the next best technology, the next best great feature that an, an app needed to have, for example. Uh, you, you know, you really had to focus on, uh, the your clients' requirements every single day, and and so you you did that as a matter of course. It was sort of uh, something that you always did. But uh, you know, with as as a I don't know as 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 you as you progress, and uh, I guess as you get you know more and more into uh, management, it's it's harder and harder to keep up to date with these skills. Uh, but but you have to do that as well. You've really got to put the hours in to to make sure that you know what your developers are talking about, that you understand some of the key technologies that perhaps they're a lot more good at doing now as well. You, you know, they you don't want to be somebody who doesn't know what the people you're managing are talking about, and and that that can be really difficult, especially when you're not cutting the code yourself. Uh, so you know, the passion is really just. You've got to you've got to instill it in yourself to to just go out there and and try and keep it up to date as much as possible with it all. Wonderful. Let's let's focus in on these emerging technologies that are coming up, and how you said that the 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 ICs are the ones who really are on the front lines. They're the ones who are faced with these potential feature requests that may involve these new emerging technologies. So, do you feel that? This is something that, as again, we're we're really looking to to try to define the 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 movement in your career here. 
And do you think the emerging technologies is something that every dev, even the juniors, should be focusing on? Or should the juniors be focusing on their work? Maybe the seniors focusing on the emerging tech? Uh, and while we're at it, which emerging techs have, have each of you looked at if you've had a chance or care? Um, Harlan, let's start with you on this. Sure. Um, so it can be really hard to contextualize, especially when you're younger in your career, how much do I focus on emerging tech versus not? I would err on the side of no work on your core skills. Um, it's cool to dabble. Um, it's unlikely you will be assigned a uh, a high-value emerging tech project, for one. But two, it, you really should just be working on getting your work done, learning, learning, learning. Um, so if we were to parse it out by level, certainly not junior engineers. Um, in my career, though, um, I've seen tech emerge and I've seen tech go. Like, really hot years ago, machine learning was really hot, and it still has its place, but we used to hear it all the time as a buzzword. Uh, we heard Web3 um, and blockchain, uh, for a while, and you don't hear that as much anymore. Um, AR, VR, metaverse, you heard that a lot. Point being, these things come and go, and actually experience has you see over time that they do come and go. Um, and it's better to focus on core fundamental skills. If, if you're confused, focus on core fundamental skills. Um, and in my experience, actually, um, unless you work in a company that specializes in keeping up with bleeding edge technology, you're not working on a lot of that necessarily. You're working on making solid applications that work for people now. And you may be chasing Objective-C away for years like we used to. And you may be chasing UIKit away for years for Swift UI. And, and that's where we're at. I want to turn the, the, the camera on Jen for this one. As an educator, where do you stand with the emerging tech? I need to adopt emerging tech as soon as possible and as soon as it's stable. So I don't want to start teaching a trend that's not going to be widely adopted. Uh, so I agree with Harlan that I need to uh, um, focus on the fundamental skills uh, are the most important. But when it comes to my mobile app classes and C Sharp, if there's any new emerging technology that looks like for sure it's gonna be adopted. For example, Kotlin, Google made that announcement that we were moving to Kotlin. So I adopted that emerging tech as soon as, the, as it's official. And I'm fortunate my job allows me to do that because our IT department is generally able to keep us on the latest technology and uh, they're usually willing to keep everything up to date for me. It's a lot of work for them. <laughs> Adrian or Ben, do you want to... I'm sorry, I cut somebody off. Who did I cut off? No, 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 that's fine. I was just about to say, I, I, for, for, for me in, in the bank, it's, it's, uh, it can be frustrating because we, we, you know, we have to support minimum two iOS versions back, sometimes three, depending on the customer base. Um, you know, SwiftUI is is probably the latest and greatest, and we're only just really getting into developing with that now. Uh, actually, that is, it's been quite beneficial that we've waited because SwiftUI seems to have changed enormously since it first came out anyhow, and I'm glad we didn't just jump straight in. Uh, it, it's nice that it's matured a little bit more before we got the chance to start using it. But, you know, you get you do get people who especially new people who join the company, for example, they may have already used it in a previous project somewhere else. 
And the first question they say is, why aren't you using Swift UI? And it's, it's sort of like, well, yeah, we'd really love to do that, but we're just not in that position yet. We, we can't, we can't take this new technology and use it. We, we, you know, because iOS doesn't support it three versions back, for example, uh, or some of the features that we want to use. So we've, we've really got to take it very gradual. Uh, unfortunately in, in my previous experience, experience uh you know freelancing that was never a problem it was always i'll just work on the latest ios version that's the version of the app you're going to get because you you haven't got an established customer base uh we want to push the envelope a little bit let's see what we can do here uh rather than you know you've got to support you know a hundred thousand users or something that are already using an application yeah, I've always felt that that was both the luxury and the benefit of the indie developer was that they could get the lead on the major companies by being able to grasp the newer features that the old that the bigger companies might not be able to because they just can't turn the ship fast enough. Ben, do you want to add anything? Yeah, I kind of echo a little bit what what Harlem was saying that as a junior, you know very much focus on on core and about learning core skills that you can then specialize in later on in your career. An example is that I did my honors project at university specializing in artificial intelligence for a racing simulator. I have never once worked on a racing simulator or worked with AI since, but I would have loved to as that time, but you're just not going to get the job straight out of of uni or as a junior. So, um, but yeah, for emerging tech, I've just found myself always working on the latest AR VR. Um, was a bit was a big thing. I was doing augmented reality with Euphoria and Unity. You know, while they were still really developing the SDK for architecture projects, and now with it with Engage, we're working with virtual reality and. All devices, our app supports anything that will run it, essentially. So I'm sitting here with about eight different VR headsets on my desk here and more underneath the bed, uh, just because we have to, we have to support whatever our user base is going to buy. You know, Quest 3s, the minute they came out, we're having to make sure we've got them. And we're also taking advantage of the mixed reality features now as well. and yeah, AI as well. We're working on building in AI tools to our platform, such as like an AI chatbot and things like that. So yeah, the, you've got to try and ride the wave, but make sure that the wave's going to stay there for a while, and 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 reap what whatever you can while you're while you're on it. Ben, you might not be able to tell me this, but is your wave going to include the Vision Pro? As soon as I can get my hands on one, all thirty five hundred dollars worth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm also going to need a new MacBook first because <laughs> I, I don't have a silicon chip MacBook either. So, yeah, unfortunately, you need the uh, the the silicon chip MacBook to do vision work now. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, we're very much looking forward to that. It's going to be interesting for the VR space, the MR space, like how much the Apple ecosystem will be at play on how much we can lean on that from within our own app as well. You know, like I said, our, our app 
does a lot of um, virtual meetings and things like that. So right now on PC VR, you can, or even with like Quest, you can bring in files from Dropbox and display them and stuff like that. But if on the Vision OS, we can lean into the actual architecture and say, okay, right, Safari's open on the Vision OS over here, but we can also bring it into our app and display it in our app as well. Like that's going to be, I'm just looking forward to it. <laughs> I wish we had time to play the entire interview, but if you'd like to see the interview with all the material, watch YouTube for the full video version. Now, I want to thank all three of you for taking time out of your respective schedules. I understand that I've got people from Colorado to the UK here. Um, I've got Scotland as well, because I'm going to say Scotland separate from UK, just to make Scott happy. <laughs> and the UK person is going to shake his head and go, no, 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 no. <laughs> Start a little debate on that right now. My girlfriend is Scottish, so of course I, I have to, I, I have to be, have my bias there. Um, but regardless, I want to thank all of you for coming on the show today. It was an absolute pleasure and very, very good information to help. Uh, thank you again. Thank you, Drew. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Jen. It's been a pleasure. We will be dropping, uh, obviously, this episode today. The next episode will be dropping in about two weeks. And we want to thank you for tuning in and listening. And as always, if you'd like to leave a, a positive feedback in your favorite app, please do so. But until then, thank you again for tuning in. So long. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the Codeco podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to leave a rating in your favorite podcast app. See you next time.